If no one told you you were baptized, would you know you were? Maybe some of you were baptized as adults, and maybe some never have been baptized, but many of us were baptized as infants. What difference did this make in our lives? Did our parents take something from us by not waiting for us to choose for ourselves? In this episode of Physically Spiritual, we will explore how to live the sacrament of baptism. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Welcome back to Physically Spiritual. As we get started this week, I want to remind you all that if you want to support everything we're doing here at Awaken Catholic, to consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation, go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to join the nation. Also, consider downloading the new Awaken app. You can go to your app store or the Google Play store or the awakenapp.io. The Awaken app is the best way to watch or listen to all the shows on Awaken Catholic. The app includes music, prayers, and discussion boards for each show. I'm, I'm actually really excited about these discussion boards. If you want to come and chat with me about any of the episodes of Physically Spiritual, go to theawakenapp.io. We're also partners with the Hollow app. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. Go to hollow.app forward slash awaken to try hollow. And also, if you want to find my coaching practice, the show notes, or any of my writings, go to becominggift.com. All right, so as we're working through season two of Physically Spiritual, in the first uh, four episodes, I introduce you to the idea of this three-legged stool. This image of the three-legged stool, I think, is a great uh, metaphor for uh, what it takes to grow in the spiritual life, for what it takes to become like God. So this week, we're going to start building out the first leg of that stool, the sacraments. So the sacraments, as we talked about a few weeks ago, are signs of grace by which God, uh, signs by which God gives us his life, his grace. And this week, we're starting with the sacrament of baptism. So that question I started with, that, that idea that many of us were baptized as infants, and, and why, why on earth do some Christians do that? You know, a lot of Christians actually uh, wait for the children to choose for themselves whether or not to be baptized, or, or wait to, to the point where they're adults to be baptized. Some Christians even get baptized multiple times. As Catholics, we baptize our children if, if the parents want, and, and we only baptize once. Why is that different? Well, at the heart of it is this idea of sacrament, this idea that, that it's by these physical signs that God is communicating actual grace to us or sacramental grace to us. So we, believing that baptism is a sacrament, believe that that event, the actual pouring of the water and saying the Trinitarian formula, that, that at that moment, there's something that happens to the person that God gives a special grace to that person that can only be received once. Right? And this is why we'll baptize an infant, because we believe it has the power to actually change their life, to change their outcome, to provide grace to that child 
as they're growing and developing that will give them the strength to be more and more who they're called to be. So other Christians that don't have this idea of sacrament, this theology of sacrament, for them what's, uh, what's at the heart is the personal relationship with Jesus. And, and while we want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, we actually want to have more than a personal relationship with Jesus. We want to become Jesus. Um, while we believe in that too, they believe that the baptism is just a symbol that that personal commitment has happened. So for many Christians, the, the real power, the moment of grace, is that moment of conversion. It's that moment of, of becoming a disciple of Christ, right? Maybe you've been asked that perennial question, like, is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? Or uh, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Right? Well, that's, that's the important. And then the baptism that they do, they do it later, and it's a symbol that that personal relationship has happened, that that commitment to Christ in their life has happened. So it's a symbol that they're making in front of their community that it's happened. So this is why they'll both wait for someone to be an adult or be able to choose for themselves to be baptized, because if they're not able to make that personal commitment, that personal relationship, then, then why baptize? And also why some will rebaptize, because if you come back to Christ, if you have a sort of a reversion or even a deeper conversion, sometimes people will get rebaptized as a symbol to that community that that new relationship with Christ is there again. Uh, so this explains uh, the difference in, for many Christians. So what is the actual grace of baptism? Like what's actually happening? What, what should the difference be in our life? Well, in order to do that, let's look at our, uh, our chart of the sacraments. We started looking at this chart of the sacraments in the last episode. It should be up now. So if you are just listening to the podcast, you can get this chart on, in the show notes uh, or at becominggift.com. So if you go to the show notes at Awaken Catholic, you can see this chart, but it just lays out the seven sacraments with the three kind of layers or, or three different stages you might think of of the sacraments. It's called the sacramentum tantum, or the symbol itself, the res et sacramentum, or the reality in the symbol, and then the res tantum, the reality in totality or itself. Uh, so for the sacrament of baptism, the Sacramentum tantum, the, the, the symbol itself is the, the form and matter of the sacrament, what we actually have to do to make it happen. So it's a washing with water. Uh, it could be by immersion or by pouring over the head uh, three times. And with that is a Trinitarian formula. This is simply the words that Christ gave us at the end of the Gospels. Go forth and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when somebody baptizes in the Catholic Church, they say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's both important that it's I, it's personal, because the person is acting on behalf of Christ. So it's Christ who is baptizing through the person. So it's the person baptizing on behalf of Christ, baptizing an individual, I baptize you, and in the Trinitarian formula, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's the matter and the form of the sacrament. And the person being baptized has to not have been baptized before 
at least in that formula. Uh, sometimes people might be baptized just in the name of Jesus or, or in another way that might not fit the form and matter that the church uses. So sometimes people will receive a conditional baptism if we're not sure if the previous baptism was valid. And the person doing the baptism has to have the intention to baptize. Uh, so this is the, the sacramentum tantum, the water, the washing with water, either by pouring or immersion, the Trinitarian formula, an unbaptized person who wants to be baptized or whose parents want them to be baptized, and then somebody who's baptizing who wants to baptize. <laughs> so this second layer, the reset sacramentum, we're basically asking the question, what does the sacrament do regardless of how well it's received, right? So there's, there's a definite effect of the sacrament that regardless of the holiness of the person who's giving the sacrament and regardless of the disposition of the recipient, it happens. Um, but then there's also an effect that dependent on the holiness of the person giving the sacrament and the, the amount that the person receives the sacrament disposes themselves to the grace that's offered that changes. So this next layer... The reset sacramentum is this definite effect, this thing that happens no matter what. So the res et sacramentum of the sacrament first is a baptismal character, what's sometimes called the seal of the sacrament. Second is the forgiveness of sins and the relief of punishment for those sins. And then third is a reception of the Holy Spirit, becoming a partaker in the divine life. So what this symbol of water accomplishes physically, what it does in the world, uh, in baptism it accomplishes spiritually. Uh, if you read the scripture, uh, there's almost uh, uh, a schizophrenic relationship with water in the scripture, uh, especially if you look at the book of Genesis. Water is a symbol of life, right? We have to drink it to have life. You can go a lot longer without food than you can without water. You can go days and days. You know, the, somebody uh, once put themselves in a hospital who was very severely overweight and said, don't feed me. He didn't eat for over a year and he still survived. If you go out with, with, without water for just three or four days, you will die. Right? We can go so much longer without food than without water. But water is also a symbol of death. Right? Water was the way that God cleansed the earth and the great flood. So the, the water in the Old Testament is also something dangerous. It's a symbol of God's power and God cleansing the world. And we see this kind of death and life dynamic throughout the scripture with water. Another example is the story of Noah. Right? Noah is cast off the boat or um, uh, the, the story of Jonah. Sorry, the story of Jonah. Jonah's cast off the boat as he's, as he's trying to flee doing God's work. And he's put into this water and then swallowed by this large fish. Well, what's happening is, is uh, Jonah is sort of dying and then through this fish rising to life and then doing God's work. So there's this life and death image of water throughout the scripture. It's really an image of the Paschal mystery. The Paschal mystery is the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ that we see prefigured in the Old Testament uh, by the, the events of the Passover and then fulfilled in the New Testament and at the Last Supper in Christ's death and resurrection. So this Paschal mystery, by being baptized, we're entering into this Paschal mystery. We're dying and rising with Christ. So let's go through these specific effects of baptism. First, uh, Catechism 
paragraph 1272, says, We're incorporated into Christ by baptism. The person baptized is configured to Christ. Baptism seals the Christian with the indelible mark or character of his belonging to Christ. No sin can erase this mark, even if sin prevents baptism from bearing the fruits of salvation. Right, so the first effect is the seal of baptism, mark of baptism or character of baptism. The three words are used interchangeably. So this seal of baptism, there's, there's a permanent mark on us that we're baptized. You can't get rid of it. So this is why if we're baptized once, we can't be rebaptized in the church. There's this seal that happens, this mark. And this mark is the sign of salvation. It's meant to be preserved to the point where it's there when we die. And God recognizes that and will actually be different in heaven because we were baptized on earth. There's an eternal significance to baptism. But on the other hand, uh, it said that sin prevents baptism from bearing the fruits of salvation. So there's this here but not yet reality to it. There's the, the res at sacramentum and then the res tantum, which we'll talk about later. All right, the second effect of baptism, Catechism 12.13 says, Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the Spirit, and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made sharers in her mission. It says, Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water and the Word. So we believe in baptismal regeneration. What we mean by this is that baptism has the power of forgiving all sin and also the punishment due to that sin. Uh, paragraph 1263 of the baptism says, By baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. And those who have been reborn, nothing remains that would impede their entry into the kingdom of God. Neither Adam's sin nor personal sin nor the consequences of sin, the gravest of which is separation from God. So the power to forgive all sins in baptism. And, and we've taken this so seriously. Some people in the past have actually waited to be baptized until their deathbed, which is, I think, a terrible idea. It's kind of like uh, playing roulette with your salvation. Um, but on, on the other hand, it's also a terrible idea because uh, our spiritual life isn't just something we're waiting to have after we die. But the life we have here on earth is the preamble to the life eternal. Right? We, the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? The grace of heaven is something we begin to experience here by the grace of prayer and the sacraments and the life of God that comes through the theological virtues. So we're, we're meant to experience our salvation in part now, in seed now, and then in, in fullness in heaven. All right, and then that final, that third effect of baptism was the reception of the Holy Spirit. It's also called part, being a partaker of the divine life. Uh, you can roll this together with membership in the church. To be part of the church is to be part of the body of Christ. So to be a part of the church is to be a part of Christ, to be Christ. And with this is the grace of justification. What I mean by that is simply the grace of that when we die, we would go to heaven. Right? This is a gift that God gives us, but it's also a grace and a habit. Um, so it's something that can be stable in us as long as we don't forfeit it. 
You might summarize all these effects of baptism with the concept of divinization. Divinization, or in Greek, theosis, this idea that we don't just become friends with Christ, we don't just have a relationship with Christ, but we actually become Christ. We're called to become like God, to be transformed into what God is. Uh, now, we have to specify this because we don't become substantially God, right? I don't become infinite and eternal like God is. I don't uh, usurp the Godhead or something like that. I become a partaker, a participator in the divine nature. And and we, we do this, one, by, uh, by receiving the theological virtues that God initiates in us, but then also by doing what God would do in the world, right? we become capable of God-like action, a virtue that transcends our human nature. So we become like Christ. And this is ultimately the gift of baptism. As, you're, as I'm saying all of this, you might be thinking something like, man, I don't know how much I'm like God, <laughs> or, or this isn't my experience of my baptism. Uh, maybe you've met a lot of people who are baptized and you think, I don't know if any of this stuff is happening in their life. I can't tell the difference between them and anyone else, right? There's this difference between what, what's happening, the ex opere operato, the definite effect, meaning at that moment of the baptism, the seal is established, all sin is forgiven, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they're given the grace of justification. But we're not perfectly sanctified, uh, we're in the image of God, but not fully in the likeness of God right away by our baptism, at least not typically. <laughs> I guess it's not out of the question. Uh, baptism could fully sanctify somebody immediately, um, but it, I haven't met anyone that that's happened to them yet. So Catechism paragraph 1264 says, Certain temporal consequences of sin remain in the baptized, such as suffering, illness, death, and such frailties inherent in life as weakness of character, and so on, as well as the inclination to sin that tradition calls concupiscence, or metaphorically, the tinder of sin. Since concupiscence is left for us to wrestle with, it cannot harm those who do not consent, by manfully but manfully resist it by the grace of Jesus Christ. All right, so what's this paragraph saying is, is that while baptism has these definite effects, the wounds to human nature remain. And as a result of these wounds to human nature remaining, there's also physical consequences to these wounds. Um, in, in season one of Physically Spiritual, in a couple episodes, I talked about the preternatural gifts. Right? St. Thomas Aquinas taught that when Adam and Eve were created, they weren't just created in harmony with God, but they were also given special graces that took them beyond their nature. So, uh, for example, uh, Aquinas taught that by nature, physical things decay, physical things die. So even though Adam and Eve were without sin, they would have still died. So they were given a special grace called a preternatural gift. And one of those was that they would not die. Uh, they were also given uh, a knowledge that exceeded their natural knowledge and, and a, a grace uh, to, to be able to order and conquer their passions in a way that they could always live in accord with God's design. Uh, so as a result of sin, these preternatural gifts were forfeited. And these preternatural gifts are not restored 
on earth in the sacramental order. Now we need to qualify that. Something better than the preternatural gifts is given to us in heaven. And what, But when we're receiving the sacraments, we're receiving uh, a foretaste of heaven, right? So it's that here but not yet. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is perfectly realized at the end of time, but it's realized imperfectly now, uh, most powerfully in the church and sacraments, but then in my life of grace and, and the grace that God gives me, it's, it's given. So, so I'm given something better in the sacraments than the preternatural gifts, but it's something that, that is just in me in seed, is just in me in an infancy that I'm called to grow into. Um, so I'm going to pull up another chart that we looked at before. This second chart is uh, a chart of the faculties of the soul. And this illustrates what's happened to us as a result of sin. Uh, so we have uh, the rational soul where we have our reason and will. And then the sensitive part of our soul has all of our passions, this internal uh, attraction and repulsion to everything, our internal and external senses. And then there's also the vegetative soul, that's just the, the, the reproduction, growth, repair, nutrition, what we share in common with all living things. So as a result of sin, the wounding of sin in human nature, what it causes is a darkening of our reason, which then has a domino effect that our will becomes malicious, becomes more evil. Since we don't know the good, we're not capable of the good. Right? The will isn't strong enough or drawn enough to the truth to overcome the leading of the passions. And at the same time, our, our, our passions toward things that are attractive now experience concupiscence. They're exaggerated. We want too much or not enough, the wrong place, the wrong time, and so on. But our, our passions aren't leading us to flourishing. And then toward things that are difficult, the irascible passions, we now have weakness. So in the middle of the person is the will, the heart, right? the place of decision, the place of covenant. But as a result of sin, not only is our, is our mind darkened, so we're less capable of, of knowing the truth and then being swayed to follow the design that we discover that God's given us. But on the other hand, we also have passions coming up from the bottom that are out of control and seemingly overwhelming. So in the middle where that leaves us is in a state of habitual sin. Um, and what we're given practically on a natural level, we, we, we can grow in virtues, in the, the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. But God also gives us supernatural gifts, actual graces. And this grace heals our nature. It comes alongside our will as we're trying to grow in these natural virtues and also is supernatural. It elevates us above our nature, and we can receive supernatural gifts of these cardinal virtues, supernatural prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, and also the supernatural gifts of faith, hope, and love. And this faith, hope, and love makes our, our mind, our, our will, and, and our passions like the way that God would be in the world. Right? This is the idea that Christ came uh, and became man, so that man could become like God. And, and this is what the theological virtues accomplish in us. It makes our faculties Christ-like. So, so this is the journey of living baptism. 
is that these definite effects, these definite characteristics that come into us become something that imbues our entire way of life. So let's now talk about this res tantum, the reality in totality, the reality itself of the sacrament of baptism. I would argue that we can summarize this with this idea of divinization. I want to share something beautiful I heard recently. This is from uh, Father David McConey. He's a, a Jesuit. I'm going to share a lecture in the show notes that I heard of his that was just excellent. And um, he had studied Augustine extensively, especially on the topic of divinization. And in one of his sermons, uh, sermon, I think it's 272, Augustine, I'll link that in the show notes too. Um, Augustine is commenting on this verse from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 17 to 18 says, Because the loaf of bread is one, we though many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Look at Israel according to the flesh. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Right. This, this passage is making allusions to communion, to the Eucharist, to the Mass. Um, but there's this idea that the bread is one, and we, though many, are one body. Right? So what Paul is saying is in some way, the people at Mass are the body of Christ, but also the bread and wine on the altar become the body of Christ. Right? There's this like kind of parallel or fittingness or 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 likeness to what's happening in the church to what's happening on the altar. Right? And this is what um you might be thinking what does this have to do with baptism? This is what Augustine says commenting on this verse. This is awesome. He says one bread. What is this one bread? The one body which we being many are, remember that bread is not made from one grain, but from many. When you were being exercised, it's as though you were being ground. When you were baptized, it's as though you were mixed into dough. When you received the fire of the Holy Spirit, it's as though you were baked. Be what you can see and receive what you are. To get the full depth of this passage, you have to understand the parts of the baptismal rite. Right? Our, our, our sacraments aren't things we do in isolation in the church. Each sacrament has a rite around it, a way that we pray together publicly. So, for example, the sacrament of the Eucharist is surrounded by a rite that we call the Mass. Well, every other sacrament has a rite around it too, this way that we pray publicly together. And the rite of Baptism has a few elements. Before someone's baptized, a prayer is prayed over them, and it's a prayer of exorcism, right? When I say this, don't necessarily think of uh, like the movies, the exorcisms uh, of people like spinning head, projectile vomiting, talking in Latin and other languages they don't know. No, exorcism is any prayer of deliverance from evil. Now, this could be really important if somebody's coming from uh, a non-Christian religion, maybe some form of paganism. Um, ancient uh, ancient cults would have included things like um, like ritual orgies and, and sacrifice to idols that could have had demonic presences behind them and things like this. So people coming into Christian faith could have had a lot of spiritual residue 
that they would have needed exorcisms. And, and I think some of this occult stuff is becoming more and more common as our culture becomes less and less Christian. Right? So we pray exorcism over someone before they're baptized, that all evil in their life is, is, is washed away, is cast out, is, is banished from them. And then the washing, right, the pouring of water, and then finally, at the end of baptism is a chrismation. It's an anointing with the oil of chrism, which is a, a blessed olive oil with a balsam in it. And, and this oil is a symbol of receiving the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this more uh, in the next episode on the Sacrament of Confirmation. It'll actually be in three episodes. Um, we're going to rotate through the legs of the stool. Um, so when, um, when Augustine is talking about this verse— He's comparing these three stages to the sacrament of baptism or the rite of baptism to the process of making bread. Right? We're, we're ground up in the exorcism, we're purified, and then we're, we're mixed together as dough by the water, and then we're baked in the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's just beautiful. Uh, but what it really draws out is, in, in a way, what happens on the altar at Mass happens to us when we're baptized. Now, it is different, right? There's a sacramental presence in the Eucharist that's special, right? The, the, the Eucharist, the substance of the bread, becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ in a way that, that we don't have that substantial change. We don't become substantially God in the same way. But on the other hand, there's a way that we're like Christ that the Eucharist isn't, right? The Eucharist doesn't get up and walk around, we receive it so that we become the hands and feet of Christ. We become Christ loving in the world, Christ acting in the world. So in, in a sense, there's a way that we are more intensely the body of Christ as a church, loving and working in the world in a way that the Eucharist is not. And there's a way that the Eucharist is Christ's presence in the world more intensely and, and more in a special way than we are as the body of Christ. But there's this, this beautiful complementarity between the body of Christ on the altar and the body of Christ in the church gathered, the communion of the baptized. So as we're thinking about living our baptism, right, not just our baptism as an event, but our baptism as a reality that we live into and more and more perfectly manifest, right? because that seal of baptism doesn't go away. So it establishes a relationship with God and a channel of grace that's always available to us. While the, those uh, original effects of, of baptism can be dimmed, meaning how much we're, we are like God, how free from sin that we are, how much we're in communion with the church, right? all of that can become dimmed by our sin and imperfections and attachments. Right? We're becoming less like God. We're accumulating more sin and more debt and more punishment. And we're also becoming less and less in communion with the church. Uh, so, so all those effects of baptism can be dim. But on the other hand, by living our baptism, we intensify those effects of baptism. By living our baptism, we become more and more in the likeness of God. We become more and more pure and able to receive God's grace. And we become more and more what we're called to be as a church, as a communion of believers working in the world. So how do we do this practically? There's these these two movements to it, so to speak. There's both the, the cleansing, right, the, the grinding and the mixing, 
right? This is sort of an aggressive thing. There's a there's a, a processing of the natural elements. And then there's also a transformation then, a receiving of something new, the baking of it. So these two movements in baptism, the dying to self and the rising with Christ, we live in our life, I would propose, by the whole Christian faith. <laughs> by the whole Christian faith. In a sense, the whole rest of season two of Physically Spiritual is about living our baptism by going through these three legs of the stool, by going through asceticism and emptying, by going through prayer, which is both emptying and filling, and the sacraments, which are both emptying and filling. To be real practical, though, think of the sacraments of confession and the Eucharist. Right? These will be the, the, um, the uh, third and fourth episodes on our sacrament track this season. So by the sacrament of confession, this grace of baptism of being washed away of all sin is renewed. And also, if we're out of communion with the church, it's our communion with the church is renewed. The priest forgives us in the name of Christ and also on behalf of the church. Our relationship vertically and horizontally is restored in the sacrament. And then also, we receive God in the Eucharist. So by going to confession and the Eucharist, we're essentially renewing those graces of our baptism. Uh, confession and Eucharist is a continuous living and reliving of baptismal grace. So going to the sacraments as frequently as possible is key to living our baptism. And then if we look at the other spoke of the wheel, so by our, our practice of ascesis, denying ourselves and growing in love, and I would propose also the examine prayer. The examine prayer is going to be one of the episodes in the middle of the season on the spiritual life. We're learning to empty ourselves and remove the obstacles in the way from God. And then we're going to learn a lot about mental prayer and um, meditation, and contemplation, vocal prayer. So this practice of removing what's in the way, ascesis and examine, and then being filled with the Spirit of God, mental prayer, meditation, contemplation, uh, we're also going through and living our baptism. We're continually living our baptism by living this full, rich, spiritual life that the church offers us. Right? So in a way, like I said, the whole rest of season two is about living our baptism. All right. I hope you've enjoyed this exploration of how to live baptism. I'm going to start doing something special uh, at the end of each one of my episodes for those that are members of the Awakened Nation. I'm going to throw up a short piece of uh, bonus content that adds something onto each episode of Physically Spiritual uh, for those that are members of the nation. So if you're not a member of the nation yet, we're going to talk about the symbols uh, that happened in the rite of baptism after someone is baptized and what those symbols mean and how we live those symbols. Um, so uh, join the Awakened Nation to get access to that content. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.